Welcome to the Tree of Life podcast. I'm here with Professor Ann Britt um, at the Department of Plant Biology. So, Professor um, Britt, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to UC Davis? Oh, good question. Yeah, um, I think I've always been interested in biology, particularly molecular biology. So I think when I was, I don't know, eight years old or something, I saw an article in Life about the structure of DNA. And it was just so beautiful and so logical, I decided that was what I was going to be doing. So I've been working on uh, my research is on repair of DNA, recombination of DNA, and now editing of DNA because of CRISPR. Right. That's really interesting. So when did you become interested in plants? That's a great question, too. So as an E. coli genetics person, because that was the most, you know, manipulable system at the time. And then, you know, I realized in the field there was more interest in eukaryotes. A lot of people were working on Drosophila, but I didn't have the heart to work on any kind of animal at all. Even a nematode is too beautiful for me to work on. So I sort of, I'm afraid by default, ended up working with plants. <laughs> Great. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so one of the big topics in general biology is photosynthesis. And being a plant biologist and knowing a lot about photo photosynthesis, I was hoping maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, the general process of photosynthesis, maybe um, talk a little bit about where photosynthesis evolved. Um, one of the questions that I often get from students is, you know, so plants can do photosynthesis, but cyanobacteria, they do photosynthesis too. And do cyanobacteria do photosynthesis using their chloroplasts? I mean, what's going on here? So maybe you can shed some light right, on that's that. Right. So in terms of evolution of photosynthesis, that's a great question. Um, in originally and still, there are lots of different kinds of photosynthesis. But the ones we're going to talk about here all involve chlorophyll, which captures uh, light energy, making its uh, particular electrons and particular site within the complex, uh, more reducing, more ready to leap off of that metal and jump instead into an electron transport chain. So in, in my class, we have been talking about using electron transport chain to pump protons and letting those protons come back in through ATP synthase to make ATP. So probably originally, a lot of photosynthesis was running in what we call cyclic pattern, where mm. the electron gets boosted by light energy, it's more reducing, it runs down electron transport chain to back to, to the original place, which is right. weird. So the same chemical acts as a great electron donor and a great electron acceptor because the light energy makes the difference. So that's a way to make ATP. Now, if you could boost that electron, make it reducing enough, you could actually land it on... NADH, which is an electron carrier, right? And make any so you're making NADH out of NAD, or really technically NADP, making NADPH. All right, so bacteria, a lot of bacteria can use this, and they have different kinds of electron transport chains, and they're all using chlorophyll pretty much to do this job. Is the chlorophyll the same? Yeah, there are different types of chlorophyll, okay. you know, and there are different types of pigments around the chlorophyll that will shove that light energy towards the one reacting chlorophyll at the reaction center. Okay. And there's a really weird physical phenomenon where the energy from electrons can hop from one chemical to the next without losing any energy at all. It's really a quantum mechanics kind of thing. So the energy will hop around until it hits the chemically active chlorophyll. Oh, I see. Right, so different bacteria have different electron transport chains and different kinds of light that they absorb and different kinds of chlorophyll, too. But um, at some point, the really exciting thing was 
some bacterium picked up both kinds, so more than one electron transport chain. Mm. And it learned how to, instead of just putting the electron back on chlorophyll, sometimes putting it on the NADP and sometimes putting it on, back on the original chlorophyll. Now, if you're going to dump that electron on the NADP, you need to find an, another electron from something. And right. again, that original reactant center should be able to find something in its environment that it can harvest electrons from. So photosynthesis can't work unless it can find that in its environment. So probably the most ex- significant bacterial evolutionary step was when they learned how to use water as an electron source. Because if you're alive, you never run out of water. Right. Or you're dead, right? right. <laughs> Photosynthesis or not, right? So being able to use water as a source of photons meant all of a sudden there could be much more life on mm. Earth than before because these are autotrophs. They're growing, 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 and all they need is water and carbon dioxide to do this job. Wow, amazing. So yeah. then the, the invention of this kind of photosynthesis then must have had a big effect on the earth and overall. Yeah, so that's that's great. So not only were was there more fixed carbon and more things that heterotrophs would be very happy with this, right? Because there's more to eat. But splitting the water resulted in the production of oxygen gas. And oxygen gas is a really powerful oxidizing agent. And it changed the chemistry of the entire planet and was really a disaster for most of the living things at the time. If we imagine instead that something figured out how to get electrons from, you know, sodium and chloride in the water, and they made chlorine gas as a waste product by doing Mm. this, they'd kill everything around them. Right. They'd have to trick themselves to somehow be resistant to it. And that really, to life at that time, that's what cyanobacteria's invention of water splitting did. It chased a lot of other organisms out of the environment. Wow, that, yeah. that's that's really interesting. So my my students often um, ask me about um, you know photosynthesis in plants versus photosynthesis in something like cyanobacterium, and one of the things they're constantly asking me about is, well, cyanobacteria, how are they doing it? Do they have chloroplasts? What's the relationship between cyanobacteria? eukaryotes and chloroplasts? Yeah, that's a super good question. So eukaryotes I would define not by the presence of the nucleus. They all have a nucleus too, but that's really boring. What they really have that's interesting is mitochondrion, Mm. right? The mitochondrion is their way of doing um, respiration using oxygen as a final terminal electron acceptor. Um, And of course, so eukaryotes couldn't evolve until water splitting evolved. So that's an interesting thing too. But another trick that the eukaryotes picked up so that you could think of the mitochondrion as being an entrapped bacterium. It even has its own DNA, right? And it does its own transcription translation. And, but all it does is help its host cell do um, aerobic respiration. The chloroplast in a green plant is the same deal. And many times during the course of evolution on life, different organisms have trapped cyanobacteria and put them to work for them as chloroplasts. So the chloroplast also has its own DNA. Right. Right? It's pretty cool. It lives inside. I People call it a symbiont. I don't really know what the chloroplast gained by this relationship, right. Right. but it's really clear what the host eukaryotic cell gained, and that's the ability to do photosynthesis, which is pretty awesome. So cyanobacteria, are they very different from green plants? 
they're part of green plants. They're still living inside of green plants. Yeah, that's so. That's a really, yeah. I think, that's a really important point to realize that the the cyanobacteria don't do photosynthesis using their chloroplasts because they're the ancestors of the chloroplasts right. effectively in, in right. eukaryotes. But it is the same process, and they have lots yep. and lots of folded membranes inside of them so they can have all those electron transport chains that they need to do that. But right, they don't need a separate organelle because prokaryotes don't really have membrane-enclosed separate organelles. They just have lots of folds in their membrane if they need it. Right. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. um, so is there anything else you think that uh, students should know about photosynthesis? That's a, that's a good We already touched on how important it was for the history of the Earth. Yeah, we which did. Which is super important, and I'd have to say that without oxygen... I, this is not photosynthesis. It's the opposite. It's respiration. Oh, that's a good thing to point out that sometimes students mix up. Yeah. They, people like to sort things out into boxes. And sometimes they think that heterotrophs do respiration mm. and autotrophs do photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually true. They are not doing, the plants aren't doing photosynthesis just for us, right? They are doing photosynthesis to make their own sugars. And why do they need to do that? Because the lights are out half the time. Right. So they right. need to use those sugars. And, and they have um, tissues like roots sometimes that uh, aren't doing any photosynthesis at all, and they have to send the sugar down that way. So, yeah, plants do both. They have mitochondria and chloroplasts, right. and, you know, we're just less than plants. We can't do as much as them. It's <laughs> right. not a symmetrical relationship. Right. Well, thank you very much for okay. uh, spending time with us today, and uh, um, and thank you. Okay. Thank you very much.